Take your Bibles this morning and make your way to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 2. You're familiar with Luke 2 at Christmas. We're going to go to a passage that doesn't get a lot of press, which is further on in. And we're going to start in a minute in um, verse 22. We're going to talk about a fellow named Simeon. And uh, the, the theme of the first Sunday of Advent historically has been hope. Hope. Now, when I say hope, how do you naturally define that in your brain? What the thesaurus or dictionary in your brain defines hope? How do you define it? I hope Georgia wins the SEC championship, championship, which actually might be closer to the biblical definition because I think they've got a really good chance of doing that. We're going up against Nick Satan. Nick Satan. You're not right, Jay. What's that? There you go. Yeah, I hope. Um, we define it as something, as more of a wish, right? Yes. Would you agree? Or sure would be nice if you could take that whole thing and turn it into the word hope. But the biblical word for hope is anything but that. The biblical hope, and as you read the word hope in your Bible, as we did in 1 Peter this morning, chapter 1, it's a different word. It means confidence. It means something you're hanging on to because you know it's going to happen. For example, here would be a biblical way to use the word hope. I look, forward, I, I look forward and hope that the sun will rise tomorrow. Anyone doubting that the sun's going to rise tomorrow? No, it always has. And until God remakes this whole planet, it always will, right? So it's, that's the biblical word for hope. And as we enter this season of Advent, which comes from a Latin word, adventus, which means the arrival or the coming, we look back at the first coming of Jesus, but at the same time we look forward to the return of Jesus. Amen? Because He is going to be returning in, in glory and in power. C.S. Lewis said this, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continually looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Amen? So hope is what we're talking about today. And we're going to see hope embedded and defined in the life of a man by the name of Simeon. Is anyone, do any of you know anybody named Simeon? I tried to think of my, I don't know a Simeon. Your grandfather was a Simeon? Really? Joseph Simeon. I'm all out of children, and I don't reckon we're having any more. But if my own children are listening, Simeon would be a great name for a young man. Oh, Simon. Okay. 
I think this one's a smidge. Is that how you spell his name? I don't think so. It's a little off. Simeon. Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at this man today. And, and you should have a, an outline in front of you, hopefully. And there's some, um, some things to fill in. And um, I encourage you to follow along and fill that in as we go. All right, that next screen there, I want to see. Now, we're going to start there in verse 22. Here's what the scripture says. You hear that? Now, when the days of her, that's Mary, of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So that's Mary and Joseph and they're bringing the baby Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. Now we know that right now they're still where? Where, where, are their head, where are they living right now temporarily? They're still in Bethlehem, right? Um, so what we know about Bethlehem is it is just a hop, skip, and a jump from Bethlehem north to Jerusalem. I mean, it's just a matter of a, a little bit over a mile. It, it's, it's, it's a suburb, very, very close, which worked out good because the sacrificed lambs were sold in Bethlehem, and then people could go get their lamb and then just short walk up and they'll be in Jerusalem for the <clears throat> holiday, the holy day and the, the, and the feast season. So here is, we see it opens with Joseph and Mary, don't miss this, obeying God's law. Does obedience matter? You better believe it. And we're going to see in this historical account how much their obedience mattered to a guy named Simeon. And by the way, I want to say here, your obedience is not for you. You obey God, and it's, but it's not for you. First and foremost, it's for God. He's worthy to be obeyed. Amen? Amen. With our little children, we teach them to obey. We don't do that for them as much as we do that for us and for God. Because they need to understand that there is authority. And authority must be obeyed. God had said that after you give birth to a boy, you wait 40 days, and on day 41, you need to get up to that temple and offer two things. First of all, a sacrifice for your own purification for Mary. So we know that this was, Jesus was 41 days old when this happened. And Mary brought her sacrifice for herself. But they also brought five shekels, which amounts today to about $2.50. And that was the second part of their trip, is they had to redeem. Do you know what that word redeem means? That's exactly right. It means to repurchase, to buy back. They needed to, they needed to purchase back from God this firstborn son because the firstborn belongs to God and that started happening 
at the Exodus, didn't it? On that night of that final plague, when the firstborn of all Egypt fell to the death angel. And yet, God allowed his people to redeem, to purchase back their own firstborn. And how were they to do that, church? Yeah, they get the blood of that lamb and to paint the doorposts of their house, which represented their family name. And, when they, and the Lord said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where we get the word Passover from. What were they doing? From that time forth, as Moses would very shortly get the law on the top of Mount Sinai, part of that law was every year we're going to do this, and every male that is born belongs to God. When a male donkey was born, uh, the firstborn of, 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 a, of a Jill donkey, she had to, that, that male donkey, the Bible says you break his neck. Because he's holy to God. He belongs to God, not you. But when it was people, God said, you, purchase, you repurchase him, you redeem him. For what amounts to today, $2.50, five shekels. And they were coming to, this is interesting, this is blew me away as I read this. Take your Bible glasses off when, you're really, when you read it. They were presenting the Son of God to God the Father. They had known each other from eternity past. And yet, in our place, he was being presented back to his father. I, I just imagine and wonder what that must have been like. So there they are. They're in the temple obeying, having no clue the far-reaching effects of their obedience. And you don't know the far-reaching effect of yours. We know the short-term result when we don't obey, don't we? Right? Have, have you ever felt the sting of that one? Sure, yeah. But oh, the effect of our obedience is a beautiful thing, as we're about to see in the life of a man named Simeon. So let's look at Simeon's character. So there, Mary and Joseph are there. And we're introduced to this man in verse 25. Verse 25, if you've got your Bibles open, here's what the scripture says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. If you got your own Bible today, underline those two words. They're super important. Just and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's an interesting man, isn't he? So what do we notice about Simeon's character, first of all? The first thing that we see is these two words, and behold. And I like the New King James Version and the Old King James because they include these words. These words should not be left out. That word behold is, is, is kind of like Jay's sign back there. It's kind of like waving that sign saying, look here. You need to pay attention to this because this is something you don't see every day. So, so behold, pay attention because there's this really old guy that lives in Jerusalem and you need to know something about him. Historians say, biblical historians say that it, it's possible through tradition 
they've come up with this idea that Simeon was into his 100s, possibly 112 is what some of the old uh, church fathers say. 112 years old at this time. So he'd been in there a little while. He had been in Jerusalem. He was probably not a priest. Some people think that he was a priest because he spent so much time in the temple. But if he was, I would think that Luke, who wrote the scripture, this passage, this was a historical account. Luke being a physician would be one that we'd be, we'd, would be including a lot of, Luke includes tons of details. And he does not include the detail that Simeon was a priest, so it, it appears that Simeon was just a guy. He was just a normal guy like you and I living in Jerusalem at that time. But God says this is something you need to look at. This man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. His name Simeon, you might want to jot this down, means God heard. God has heard or God is listening. Isn't that an interesting? That's why, that's why it'd be a great name for a child. Simeon. God has heard or God is listening. What does that tell us about Simeon? If God has heard him or God was listening to Simeon, what does that tell us about Simeon? He was a man of prayer, wasn't he? Yeah, exactly. He was talking to God and God was what? Listening. God was hearing this man. And then he goes on to say this. The Simeon, this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That word just is a shortened word for justified. Some of your other translations will, will translate this, he was righteous. Anyone have a translation out there that says righteous? Okay, good. And that's a fair, it's actually the same word. Because let me tell you something, if God looks at you as righteous, it's only because you're justified. Amen? <laughs> God is not going to call you righteous unless you're justified. And unless you're justified, you'll never be righteous. And they're actually the same word in the Greek. And the question here is, uh, what does that mean? What does it mean that he was righteous or justified? Well, it can mean one of two things. It can mean that he was justified in the sense that God imputed or, or placed onto and into him a right standing through repenting of his sin and putting faith in the Messiah that was coming. We call that imputed righteousness, where God declares us righteous through the works of Christ by our faith and a rejection of our sin as we follow him. Or it could mean a practical righteousness, that, that Simeon was a faithful, converted, blameless Israelite. I don't think it has to be either or. I think it's both and. Amen. We talked about that a little bit in our, our um, D group, <laughs> as Jay accurately said this morning. In our D group, that if, if, if you have put your faith in Jesus and have repented of your sins, you're going to follow him and you're going to, you're going to live a righteous life that honors God. It also says he was devout. And I think that's more of an inner heart attitude. He was reverent. That word devout means he was a God-fearer. He was sincerely devoted to obeying God. Are you starting to get a picture of this man that God is hearing? That God is listening to as he prays this Simeon? 
He is right with God through faith in the coming Messiah and the rejection of His sin. He is devout. He is wholly committed to God. This is an outside pursuit of righteousness and inside He is devout, committed to this holy life. But notice this next one. He's longing for the consolation of Israel. What's consolation mean? Anybody know? You've heard it in the term consolation prize. That's when you lose, they give you a prize so you won't feel so bad, right? <laughs> of course, now today, and, and uh, the wokeness of the hour, everybody wins. And you know what? When everybody wins, you know what that means? Nobody wins. Everybody's a loser. Uh, there was no consolation prizes in Little League. If, if you didn't win, you didn't get a trophy, you didn't get a ribbon. You got to pick up the bases and clean up the stands if you lost. <laughs> Only the people who won. But you get a consolation prize so you don't feel... The word consolation means comfort. This man who was right with God and devoted to walking with God, he was looking forward to the comfort of Israel. What does that mean? That, that comfort was in the future, which means right now, were they experiencing any kind of comfort? Absolutely not. Because they were underneath a religious system of dead works that led to deadness. And this rare man, and he's, he's pointed out as a rare man, is, is living something different. He, is, he does not have any hope in, in, in a dead works-based religion. Instead, he has found life through faith and repentance in the Messiah who was coming. Notice this last thing that it says about him. And it's interesting, it says, And the Holy Spirit was what, church? Upon Him. Matter of fact, this is interesting, in three consecutive verses, 25, 26, 27, it mentions the Holy Spirit impacting and directing this man. Three verses in a row. Which is interesting to me. Um, what a guy. He is, he is controlled by the Holy Spirit. Are you controlled by the Holy Spirit this morning? Is your everyday life controlled? Are your decisions directed by the Holy Spirit? God Himself, the third person of the Trinity? Simeon's were. And we see that very specifically. What a biography this man had. And when we die, if only we could say of us what is said of Simeon. His name... His business, waiting for the consolation of Israel. His character, just and devout. And his companionship, having the Holy Spirit upon He was directed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26. I want you to see Simeon's confidence. His confidence in verse 26. Here's what the Scripture says. And it had been revealed to him, notice this, by who? The Holy Spirit. There it is again. God's listening to him, and God's speaking to him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We talked about this in our D group this morning. What does that word Christ mean? Messiah, the anointed chosen one. And there was only going to be one of them in all of human history. And somehow, in God's good pleasure... He had revealed to this just 
justified, righteous, and devout man. That, and he, that Simeon, you're not going to die until you get to see the Messiah. Isn't that something? And that affected, I think, how Simeon lived. I think Simeon lived with an air of expectancy. Is today going to be the day that I get to see him? Because as, as tradition says, I'm 112 years old. I'm not going to live forever here. It's got to be so, Lord, if you're going to keep your word and your promise to me, you better make it quick. Right? We see his confidence at some private revelation from God to Simeon. Interestingly enough, our confidence in the Messiah is after death we will see him. Amen? But Simeon's was before. I'm not going to die until I see him. Then we see Simeon's celebration in verse 27. Have you ever waited a long time for something? Knowing that it was coming? To me, I, it was our children. You know, those nine months seemed like forever. Um, if it seemed like forever for me, I can't imagine what it was like for my poor wife. Um, Sherry, you're in the middle of that. How far along are you now? 19 weeks. And you're due when? April. So we, we're talking springtime, right? So, and sometimes it seemed like forever, doesn't it? Um, but boy, when it happens, what a celebration. And we do celebrate new birth, don't we? And, the, and we should. We should. Look at his celebration in verse 27. Here's what the scripture says. Um, and I find it so fascinating. Here's the spirit again, third time, right? So he's out doing whatever he's doing in Jerusalem. And the Bible says this, verse 27. So he came. How did he come? By the spirit. I hope that's how you came this morning. So he came by the spirit into the temple. What happened? Somehow the Holy Spirit said to him, Simeon, time to get to the temple. This was not a Saturday Sabbath worship as far as we know. This was just an ordinary day in the temple. There was always things going on. There were always babies that needed to be redeemed. There were always all kinds of things happening. The temple was a busy place. It was the center of, of both spiritual and physical commerce. But somehow the Holy Spirit said to him, time to get up and go. Simeon did not know when this was going to happen, but oh, listen to me, God knew. And how many of you know that God is never in a hurry? Aren't you glad? And God's never late. God's on time all the time, and He's never in a hurry, and He's never late. Simeon, we see, is a man who is governed and guided by the Holy Spirit. Psalm 37, 23, jot that down. Psalm 37, 23 says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. God orders the steps of a good man. Are you a good man? Are you a good woman? Are you a good boy? Are you a good girl? Are your steps ordered by God? And does he delight in the path and the lifestyle that you are living? Galatians 5 and 16 I think, did I put that? Yeah, Galatians 5.16 says this. Paul's talking. I say then, walk in the what, church? Spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Old Simeon, he, he, the Spirit was upon him. Notice it didn't say it was in him. It was upon him. This is still Old Testament. We're still under the law. The Bible says that Jesus was born under the law so that he might fulfill it. Um, Ephesians 5 and verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine, but continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
right? So we're to be filled. Now we can be filled under the new covenant. Amen. And then Zechariah 4, 6, you should remember this one. Uh, here's what the scripture says. So he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my what, church? By my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. There's a lot that gets done when we listen to the Holy Spirit. Everything we do in life must be under the guidance and governance of the Holy Spirit. So what has happened here is they have, this is all taking place. So he goes into the temple. Now that temple is not like church. It's very different. Um, where, where this was taking place with Mary and Joseph was in the, was in the I'm going to call it the inner outer section. There was a really a bigger outer section, and that's the court of the Gentiles. And, and, but they could not go into the next intersection, and that, was, that next intersection was the court of women, is what it was called. And that's where the women were allowed to go into, but only the Jewish women. You getting this picture? And this is kind of neat. I think God's just a, God knows what he's doing because he made ladies this way. To get to the women's court, you enter through the gate beautiful. I don't think that was a, a mistake. Guys, aren't you glad for your beautiful wives today? And the longer you spend together, the more beautiful they become. Um, so through that beautiful gate, they're into the women's court. And we see um, that he begins to celebrate what is, what is going to be happening here as he walks in. Or, um, in. In verse 27. And look at verse... Um, look at the rest of that verse. And... So at this very same time, he comes by the Spirit into the temple. And, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So in that women's court, and it just so happens that Simeon gets there and who walks in? But Mary and Joseph. Do you think this was an odd event for a young couple to be walking in with a, a 41 or 81 day old baby? You say, Pastor, why do you say 81 days? Because if it was a girl, mama had to wait 81 days to bring her sacrifice. If it was a boy, 41. You say, why? I don't know. That's just the law of God. That's how God did it. And there are some reasons for that. I won't go into it today. But uh, So they're in there, and God knows what's happening. And all Simeon knows is the Spirit guided me here. Do you think this had happened before? I think probably. I think... I think Simeon probably spent a lot of time in a temple. But this day was going to be different. So, so here they are, coming through the beautiful gate. They walk through that archway into the women's court where this is going to take place. And, and I want you to know something. Um, Mary and Joseph were normal people. Do you think they looked any different than any other couple that came through that gate with a baby? No. Do you think the baby Jesus looked any different? No. Even though with the, with the church paintings from the Renaissance and, and Hallmark cards always have the baby, first of all, he always looked like he's, he's six months old in these pictures. I was looking at, at one of the artist's versions of, of renditions of, of the blessing of Simeon with the baby Jesus, and, Je and Jesus looked like he's two years old. He's 41 days old. Y'all know what a 41-day-old baby's a tiny thing, right? He was just a little infant still, suckling babe. And he didn't look any different than the other kid that came through that 
gate numerous times in a day. They were just ordinary. But we see in verse 28, Simeon's consecration. Simeon sees them. And I think the same Holy Spirit alerted him. And I can't imagine what this was like. But he knew. Somehow that Holy Spirit said, there he is. There he is. That's the Christ. That's the Lord's Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the chosen one. And Simeon sees him. He is given the understanding that this isn't just any baby, but this is the Lord's Messiah, the chosen one. Referenced, by the way, in Psalm 2 2. Wes shared that sermon with us about, about that. You can see it there. Again, it talks about the Lord's anointed one, the Lord's Christ. And we see what he does in verse 28. If you're in verse 28, let's see what the scripture says. So he comes in, Mary and Joseph come in with a baby. God somehow alerts him, this is him, this is the Messiah, this is my Christ, my anointed one. And look what he does in verse 25. And he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now, let's take the Bible glasses off. I don't know if this was tremendously uncommon thing to happen. Think about, and this is kind of where we get our idea of baby dedications from, is take it from this. You know, when, when a baby first comes to church, what, what tends to happen? What do we do? He, that kid gets passed around like a football. I don't know that this was tremendously, tremendously out of the ordinary. And yet it was, because this wasn't just any baby. So somehow, once you get the picture of what's going on here, he gets alerted that this is the Christ, this is the Messiah. And, and as odd as this might have been, he went right up to Mary and takes the, takes the baby out of her arm and begins this blessing, this, this, this consecration. And I want you to notice what the Word of God says there in verse 20. He took him, this is the baby Christ, baby Jesus, in his arms. And notice what it says. And what did he do? What are those next two words? He did what? Who did he bless? He blessed God. What does that mean? We use that in an inappropriate way. I, I, I've heard that used, especially here in the South. Yeah, well, bless God, I'm going to X, Y, Z. No, don't use it like that. It literally, that word bless means to, to, to say well words, to pronounce words of good words. He literally blessed God by what he was about to say. And let's look at what he was about to say. This is Simeon's chorus in verses 29 through 32. So whatever, whatever he says here, it blessed God. It was intended to bless God himself. It is directed Godward. It is God-focused. God is the object and the focus of Simeon's worship. And I want to say to you that as we gather here Sunday by Sunday, fellowship and community are secondary events. The exalting of God is the primary reason that we are here. And as we, here's the beautiful thing about it. As we exalt God together, as we bless God together, who else gets blessed? We do, and we experience, here it is, fellowship and community. But fellowship and community are not the goal, they're the byproduct. 
And here, uh, uh, Simeon, his whole focus is, a, is to bless God. And here's how he does it with these well words. Look at verse 29. Lord, he's talking to God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. What's he saying? He's ready to die. Lord, I can go now. I'm 112 years old. I've been ready for a while, at least 12 years. <laughs> and now I see what you're doing. You're releasing me. And you're, you're going to let me die in peace. This man was ready to die. Can I ask you a question? Are you ready to die? Do you have confidence in God's saving faith in your life today? Are you ready to go? We need to be ready to go at a moment's notice because we never know. But here's what we do know. We can have confidence in God. Amen? And so does Simeon. He's ready to go. Look at verse 30. Look at verse 30. Here's what it says. For, here's why he's ready to die. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That's all it says, verse 30. That's it. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Here's what's pretty cool about that. What was this baby's name? Huh? Jesus. He would have been called Yeshua, which sounds a lot like Joshua. Same thing. Do you know what that word means? You know what that name means? Yeah, if you put it together, especially with a J and an A in it, it literally means Jehovah's salvation. Did you see that? And notice what he says. Who does that salvation belong to? For my eyes have seen what? Your, circle that in, the, in your Bible. Your salvation. <clears throat> it's not my salvation as the one who's being saved. Salvation belongs to God and to God alone. And he gives it to whosoever he will. And, 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 and who are you and I to think that we, we have any say in any of that? It's God's salvation. And this Simeon character, he understood that. And, and literally, he said, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Literally, what he's saying is, I'm ready to go, God, because my eyes have seen your Jesus. That's literally what the name means. I have seen your Yeshua. I have seen your salvation with my own eyes. You told me I would, and I wouldn't die until I did. I've seen him. I'm ready to go. Oh, beloved, have your eyes seen his salvation today? That is nothing to play around with. It's not a trivial matter. It is the most penultimate question in the world. Because one day you will see him. Oh, that you would see him before you have to deal with this judge of the universe. That God would open up our eyes. Just jot this down. Psalm 3 verse 8. David says, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to God. Look at verse 31. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. I want you to notice that first phrase, which you have prepared. God pre, you know what prepared means? Always see the word pre in prepared. He pre in advance, paired. He got this ready long in advance. Amen? Jesus is the salvation which was prepared before the face of everybody, all people. That was a big revelation to those first century Jews. Because up to that point, 
God's main dealing for a long time had just been with the children of Israel, the Jewish, the Hebrew people, right? This is fixing a shift, and that may explain uh, Mary and Joseph's response here in just a second. God prepared it. It's God's plan, not ours. God is the one who designed it, and God is the one who determined it. And Jesus is too great a Savior to be limited to Israel. Oh, instead, God offers a worldwide invitation to all peoples. Who is all peoples? It's Israel and everybody else, right? And we see that in this next verse. The Gentiles and the Jews. Look at verse 32. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? Everybody who's not a Jew. All right? A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So you get Israel and everybody else, Gentiles, and you have all peoples in verse 30. You see what's happening here? And it is a light of revelation to non-Jews. Isaiah 42 and verse 6. Jot that down. Here's what it says. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. And notice this. And as a light to the Gentiles. This is speaking of the Messiah that's coming. You're going to be a covenant to Israel and a light to the Gentiles. Light always has an idea of revelation. That's why we use the, a light bulb. When, someone, when the light bulb comes on, you get it. Oh, that the light bulb would come on for us. Look at, look at Joseph and Mary's response, though, in verse 33. So he blesses the Lord with this celebration, this chorus, if you will, Simeon's chorus, verse 29 to 32. But look at their response, verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Now, I don't get this. Does anybody understand this? They were bewildered. They were amazed and shocked. He was going to bring rescue to all people, including the Gentiles. There would be no salvation, no rescue from sin outside of this child. Now, this makes you wonder, doesn't it, what Mary and Joseph really understood. I mean, I would think from the from the historical text, you would think they knew who this kid was, right? They knew he came in an extremely unusual way. She was pregnant even though she was a virgin. So God was the father. I don't know. Was it the familiarity breeds contempt? They were in it so long and everything just got normal? I don't know. But whatever Simeon said in here, and I think it was the further revelation of being so clear that, that, the, that he not only was he Messiah, God's anointed, he was coming for everybody. That was a big shocker to the Jewish people. Matter of fact, even the early church wouldn't get that right for years. They finally had to have a big church business meeting over it called the Jerusalem Council. You can read about that in Acts 15. It took them a while to finally understand what Simeon was singing in his praise chorus here in Luke 2. And this last one, look at Simeon's confession in verse 34 and 35. And this is interesting. Then Simeon blessed them. Boy, he's just blessing everybody, isn't he? <laughs> First he blesses God, he blesses the baby, and now he turned around and he blesses mom and dad, right? And so he's speaking blessing over them. 
And he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And a sign which will be spoken against. And yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Simeon, through the Holy Spirit again, I believe, looked at this child and he looked at these parents, and specifically to Mary, his mom. And said, so let me tell you something about this child. This child is a stone, he is a sign, and he's a sword. You say, where do you get the stone from? We're talking about the rising and fall of many. He was a stone of stumbling, wasn't he? He was a stumbling stone. And people stumbled over it. His own people stumbled over it in Israel. Gentiles stumbled over him. He was a major stumbling block to his own people. Oh, that we would not stumble over this king, but bow to him. He was a sign to be opposed. I want to tell you something about Jesus. He is the most opposed figure in all of history. There is no figure in all of history that's been opposed more than Jesus. And he's being opposed today by some of you. And you need to repent, and so do I. We mustn't oppose the king of the universe. And then the Bible says he would be a sword in verse 35. Can you imagine Mary at that cross watching this happen to her son? I, and, and you moms can understand this better than we dads. His own father had forsaken him. God the Father forsook the son as he bore my sin and yours. So the father's gone. Joseph had died by this time. And there's Mary left alone to bear all of this. No wonder, Simeon said, a sword's going to pierce through your own soul also. Now, that what this does not mean is what the Roman church has turned Mary into what's called a co-redemptrix, that we're saved through Jesus and Mary. That is not what Simon said. That's blasphemy. And we need to call it what it is. Mary was just like you. If she was sinless, number one, she wouldn't have had to bring that purification sacrifice. If she was sinless, she would not have said, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. And by the way, I know that's a front to their belief system, but Jesus had brothers and sisters. And that's in a historical record. So that's not what it meant, but what it did mean, it meant that Mary would have to go through the sorrow. To watch how oppressed her son would be for the sake of sinners like you and me. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, we're supposed to take 1 John 5, 11 and 12 to heart. Jot that down because I want you to look, go through that this week. I think I have that up there, do I not? 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Here's what it says. Verse 12 says this, He who has the Son has what, church? Life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have Him? 
Do you have the Son? And more importantly today, does the Son have you? Because when He has you and you have Him, you have hope because hope is a person and His name is Jesus and He is Jehovah's salvation for you, for your neighbor, for your entire family. Reminds me, and I close with this illustration, the story that has always fascinated me for how closely it calls us to understand the person of Jesus and that hope is found only in Him. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life. Apparently this was a true story. There was a very wealthy aristocrat in Britain and he had one son. And that son was called off to war and died on the battlefield. And the man was brokenhearted. And he literally grieved himself to death. One thing about this aristocrat is he was a world-renowned collector of the greatest pieces of art on the planet. And it was announced and world traveled around, or the word traveled around the world quickly that there would be an auction in a month and he would auction off his world-class collections that was the envy of many a museum and wealthy collector. They say the day of that auction, the place was packed, standing room only in a large, in, in the large um, assembly room, feasting room of this man's mansion. The auctioneer got up and he said, the auction will open and the first piece that will be sold is the one behind me above the mantle of this great hall. And above that mantle was a painting of his son who died in that war. And he said, we will open the bidding. Who, who will offer me a bid for the picture of this man's son? And instead of bids, he got jeers from the crowd. He said, we don't want that. We want the real works of art. When are the real works of art coming? That's what we want to bid on. And the auctioneer said, no, this, this is to be sold first. And upon that, one hand went up in the back of the room, and it was the hand of the groundskeeper who had taught that boy to ride a horse, to work with his hands. And loved that boy as much as the father did. And that groundskeeper raised his hands. He said, all the money I have in the world, I offer for that painting. And it was merely $100 of the equivalent. The auctioneer said, $100 going once. Anyone got a higher bid? Room was silent. $100 going twice. $100 going three times. And that gavel came down. Tears streamed down the old man's face. At which time the gavel came down one more time. And the auctioneer announced, 
the auction is now over. And a crowd erupted in frustration and objection. Finally, the auctioneer was able to quiet them down. And he took out from an envelope a piece of paper. He said, I hold in my hands this great man's will. Let me read for you the first two lines. And they went something like this. The first item to be sold is the picture of my son. It is also the last item to be sold. Because whoever gets the son gets it all. And the entire estate was turned over to the only man in a room that loved the son. He who hath the son has life. You get the son, you get it all. And it's not for you because of his great love. Do you have him? Would you stand with me today? Father, I pray that you would give us the confident expectation of a Simeon today. That we would have your Holy Spirit in that same glorious measure that this man experienced. That we would live a life that honors you in all that we say and do. That our character would be his character. And that we would have the same confidence that Simeon had, that your word is going to come to pass. And that we would celebrate that which you love. And that we would flee to Christ, your son, as our only hope. And be consecrated to him. And we would sing his praises. And we would confess the truth about Jesus. And oh, that we would have him. That we would not be one who would stumble over him, as so many in Israel did. But that we would be a rare Simeon. That we would repent of our sin and lay hold of Jesus. Cling to him, trusting in his work on that cross and empty tomb and his ascension to your right hand. And working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit as we put all enemies under the feet of our great King. God, would you call us to be and do that today and be busy about that work for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.